0: The GIST is sponsored by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, and online store. Get a free trial and 10% off your first purchase when you visit squarespace.com and enter offer code GIST. And by Acura, the presenting sponsor of the 2015 Sundance Film Festival. Check out the all-new Acura TLX at acura.com or test drive one for yourself at your local Acura dealer. Friday, January 30th, 2015 from Slate. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Lottery was on the front page of the New York Times today. No, not lotto. Not a dollar in a dream. A lot more than a dollar, but a lot less than market rates. They're talking about the lottery that they hold for apartments below market or affordable apartments. So listen to these numbers, right? Uh, Williamsburg apartment building. 38 units went up with rents ranging from $640 to $1,400 for a two-bedroom. 80,000 applications for these 38 units, and that is not unprecedented in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. They got 58,000 applications for 105 affordable units, and then 48,000 applications for 98 apartments in upper Manhattan. Not just New York, right? San Francisco, there were 18 apartments in one building, 2,595 individuals and families applied for those 18 apartments. And not just these huge coastal cities, Chattanooga, Chattanooga, Tennessee, for the first time in five years, they've offered vouchers, basically 30% off rent, 250 vouchers for very low-income households. 6,500 people applied for these eventually what will be 250 vouchers. Now, I have not ever applied for a low-income housing, but i been involved in lotteries for a good that I, if you think about it, pay for. Uh, one of my kids tested into a school, and these most sought-after schools in New York City that you could test into have something like 13 applications for every seat. And I knew that that was it. Our resources only go so far. But you ever notice that it never works the other way, right? Like when you get a parking ticket, they never enter you into the lottery for actually having to pay the parking ticket, right? You get a parking ticket, no lottery. You're paying the parking ticket. And my taxes are never, all right, now you're one of the finalists who will actually be paying his taxes. No, the taxes get paid, the parking ticket gets paid, and after they collect these fees and collect your taxes, then they put you on the lottery the other way. I don't know if this is Mike solves the world's problems or Mike complains about parking tickets and chattanooga housing probably the second one today this day is an n twig every three weeks is an n twig that's tautological a word i taught to the anchors of cnn not too long ago but now an avenger a visual avenger woodside queens is his locale and fireboxes are his canvas Squarespace helps you design beautiful websites, it's really easy to use, and they've paired up with Jeff Bridges. It's a logical pairing. Squarespace is sort of a bridge between your brain and actual realizing something on the internet. No, 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 that's not it. It's that Squarespace, you you don't even have to have true grit to use it, and as we know, Jeff Bridges was Rooster Cogburn. No, no, that's not it. Oh, it's that Squarespace, when you use it, you're the dude. And of course, Jeff Bridges was the dude. No, that's not really it. It's that Squarespace believed in Jeff Bridges' project about sounds. Cool, unique, relaxing sounds and guided meditations. And they helped him make an album. And you could go to dreamingwithjeff.com to check out these sounds. Or they have an ad during the Super Bowl about these sounds. Jeff also has a charity called No Kid Hungry. And all proceeds from the Jeff Bridges sleeping tapes will go to No Kid Hungry. So whether there's an overlap or a tie-in to Squarespace or not, I mean, there is. He's doing the commercial. He's a cool dude. Squarespace is a cool company. They just encourage you to check it out. Again, that website is dreamingwithjeff.com. And Squarespace says that you can start a trial with them to build your own website without a credit card. If you decide to sign up for Squarespace, use the offer code GIST. Get 10% off your first purchase. Thank you, Jeff Bridges. You're welcome, Mike. Thank you, Squarespace. Squarespace. Start here. Go anywhere. You know, well, maybe you remember call boxes. They're wired, right, to police departments or firehouses. In California, highway call boxes exist, but they're seldom used. They average about a call a month. In New York City, we still have call boxes. They're red, they're ornate, they're adorned with artistic detail, but they're faded. They're actually kind of a waste of money. But if a politician proposes eliminating a call box, there's usually an outcry. In fact, Mayor Bloomberg, ever the pragmatist, tried to eliminate call boxes, said it would save the city $6.3 million. A federal judge denied that. He said deaf people need them because deaf people don't have cell phones, but it's good to have the call boxes. So the call boxes remain. The fact is that they're kind of ignored by most people who could use them. And you know what? They look ignored. Well, They used to look more ignored, but then John Colgan started hitting them. Colgan's a security guard from Queens who paints call boxes on his own. Hello, John. Hey, how's it going? And when I say with no help,
1: sometimes with hindrance... Uh, Not really. You know, people have been really good about it. Everybody likes them, yeah. and people notice them once they're painted bright red. Okay, so explain how you paint them and what your methods are. Uh, Well, most of them I just put red paint on, a couple coats. Everything I paint gets at least two coats on. Uh, But the ones in my neighborhood, uh, I usually try and strip them if I can, and then uh, I repaint them and then I'll paint them with like gold and black and silver, red and white for letters. I'm
0: looking at one and the New York Post did a story on you. It's beautiful. I mean, just it's a thing of art and the sort of thing that we didn't even know could be art. In fact, it seemed like an eyesore to a guy like you comes along and kind of brings out the best in them. So how do you decide what colors you would use and how do you
1: decide how they should look? Well, it's pretty simple. It's kind of like painting by numbers, really, because the artwork's already there. Yeah. You're just putting a fresh coat of paint on it. But they're from the 20s and 30s, so I just thought about an old fire truck from the 20s and 30s. Same colors. When I first painted painted it red, I realized that all that beautiful scroll work is there. I thought, you know, if I put a little gold on this, this might look nice. And then I filled in the gold in the background, and when I stepped back and looked at it, I couldn't believe how beautiful it turned out. Is
0: there one specific tone of red, one specific tone of gold you use?
1: Uh, I just use... Uh, um, Max Tech. I get it from a shop called Gleason's on 65th and Roosevelt. They actually used to give me free paint all the time when I first started out because I was broke. Yeah. And uh, my mother financed it for the first two years because I couldn't get a job, and she saw that I was going insane not doing anything. So um, it's called Max Tech Plus. It's like industrial paint, but it's great. It took uh, 11 different kinds of red to get to this level and seven different kinds of gold. Before I found a combo that's dog urine proof, people urine proof, vomit proof, salt proof, pollution proof. It just it looks amazing, look at the luster on it. It's I, I painted that in October
0: so how scientific what 's the detail the scientific method so you found out if
1: they were vomit and y- human urine? Oh, proven. because I see it every morning on oh, Saturday <laughs> morning, and you know what the ridiculous part about it is is that when they were dirty and looked disgusting, nobody would let their dogs go near them, no one would go stand <laughs> near them or anything, and now that they 're I don't know, I guess it's kind of like a, a moth attracted to the flame, you know? Yeah, and speaking of flame,
0: there is a flame atop the FDNY call boxes. It looks like a torch, but it, of course, represents a fire. I right. mean, wait, before you painted that, I've only looked at them a thousand times and never noticed that detail. That's right. And it's right on top. We used
1: to call it the uh, uh, red ice cream cone when yeah. we were a kid, because yeah. they were always just painted in red. And I realized it was a torch, so I was going to paint it silver. That didn't look good, and then I switched to gold. And people walking by were like, wow, that's amazing. So, so you live, have you lived in Woodside your whole life? Oh, yeah. Woodside. Neighbor- I lived upstate for a few years, but pretty much my whole life. Okay,
0: so you live in Woodside, Queens. And like a lot of people who grew up here, these are a fact of life, the sort of thing you don't notice because they are ignored. But um, what was the moment when you're looking at an unpainted, derelict firebox and say, I could do something with this?
1: I started going back to church, and I realized I have to give back to my community. And... After I filled in all the potholes in my alleyway, my neighbors and I pooled money together. I come from a construction background, so with my knowledge, I filled in all the potholes. And I was sitting out front, and I said, I wonder what else I could do. And for some reason, for the first time, I noticed the call box. The last time I noticed it was 1980s yeah. when we had a pyromaniac living in the neighborhood. <laughs> so I thought, uh, oh, I'll paint it red. And then after I painted it red, it just kind of... So the, call from there. So the first one you saw, you actually saw from My your front apartment? steps. Really. And that was <laughs> the it's first one the street, My house. That's yeah. why it looks so good. Because that takes about 18 to 30 hours, depending on the weather, to make it look that good. How many call boxes will you give that kind of attention to? Just uh, the ones you pass on your way to the this, subway every day? This year, I will give that kind of attention to... One, two, three, five. 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 Two on Northern Boulevard, two more on 32nd Avenue... And one on 30th Avenue, 49th Street, that's being dedicated to Michael Sclafani, a firefighter who died in 05. His cousin asked me to dedicate it for him.
0: Oh, that's amazing. And how many
1: total have you painted? <laughs> I don't know. 40 to 60, probably. All in Queens? And that's just red, you know? All in red Queens? Red and silver. Uh, Queens and Brooklyn. I found a very unique one the other day in Brooklyn. Very old. 1921. Pull box without the guard on the front. The one that I paint across the street has a guard that says to activate alarm, pull handle. And, yes. And that says guard on the bottom. Yes, it says guard. Uh, yes, The 21s the are missing that piece on the front. How many different varieties of call box are there? Right now on the street, there's a the 1913s, which are all over Park Slope in Manhattan. There's a the 21s that are missing the guards. So those are everywhere. A lot of times they have a mast on the top yeah. for the electricity to go to an overhead line. And uh, there's the 32s, the 57s, which are the same that I painted but missing the torch. And then the 1957s after that is a regular post design, very plain looking. And then in 73, they put a silver casing around it so it looks like the trade center. Yeah. Twin Towers. Yeah. Yeah.
0: What is your goal? To get to as many as you can, to inspire others to do it, to make the city realize that they've been missing an opportunity, in fact, to shame them into painting their own call boxes?
1: Well, you know what? Listen, I got to admit, the city has really been trying the last couple of years to eradicate graffiti and to paint things. I'll give them a lot of credit for that, but they can't be everywhere at once. People need to step up and take responsibility for their own neighborhoods. So I'm figuring that I will paint one in random neighborhoods people walk by say wow that looks beautiful yeah i'm gonna paint the other ten down the block because it's
0: like the opposite of the broken windows theory it's the fixed windows theory yeah well well, i've been using
1: the broken windows theory for the last four years with the woodside neighborhood association and it really does work a neighborhood starts going downhill when you see garbage and graffiti and you let it build up so you have to if you eradicate the garbage and the graffiti. Everything else just kind of falls into place. My neighborhood's cleaner now. Yeah. You know, uh, more people are volunteering with us to help clean the neighborhoods on the weekends and on the summers. And we have a greening project going on with uh, partnership for Parks. And people donate paint all the time. And people send money to Gleason's to fund us. We have a GoFundMe account that has, I think it's got a couple grand in there. Yeah. But we can make a gallon of paint go much further than someone that's getting paid to put paint on a wall.
0: Right. Who's getting paid by the hour. Yeah. We don't take lunch breaks, so. Yes. <laughs> yeah. um, right. And because of it's, a, it's a labor of love. Well, what about early on when the police didn't know what you were doing? Did they, were they suspicious?
1: Uh, yeah. They thought I was doing graffiti, yeah. you know. but uh, And they really couldn't believe that I'd be going out there and doing this on my own, spending my own money and, uh you know, why would he do this? And uh, it was just a couple guys one time. And then I went down and introduced myself to the 114th precinct. But all the overnight people know who I am. And uh, the day cops know who I am. So they all talk to each other. So um, they've been really supportive. The 108th and the 114th cops have been extremely supportive. And so is the FDNY members.
0: You know, since you are painting them, you are covering over some graffiti artists. Do they take umbrage?
1: Uh Yeah, I do. I uh, I don't really care, you know? <laughs> the neighbors do not want to see graffiti. It's not just that. I, it was, I just spent the last 48 hours covering up graffiti in the neighborhood because every time it snows, they run around and rampage in the neighborhood. Yeah. So, but to these guys, after you spruce up a uh, uh, a fire call box, will they come and want to tag that one? Before? They might after this this uh, goes on the air. They love podcasts. Every, the every single time we do a news thing, the yeah. next day they go, oh, they have graffiti under control. We'll show them. And they rampage through the neighborhood. But we have more paint, more support, and everybody backs us up. So we know who the taggers are because to tell us is to help the neighborhood. To tell the cops is snitching. So... Right,
0: right, right. So I mean, but it they really this... can't hide. I
1: they... mean, we know who every single one is. But
0: yeah, they're the ones with the uh, white fingertips and so forth. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when you say this is, say, a thirty-hour project, is that what you said? Eighteen I...
1: to thirty hours. Okay. It really depends on the
0: weather. Do you break it up? So what's a shift? Do you sleep? I mean, how does that work? If a, you have a shift 30-hour is project?
1: whenever I feel like going outside and doing it. And what well, will you do it over the course of how many days? Until it gets done. Yeah. Yeah, so it really—the weather is a big factor. Everyone has to remember we all live on a giant island. Yeah. So humidity is a huge problem. I have to know what yesterday's weather is, today's going to be, and the next two days. Because if it goes above 70%, it really won't stick. So, when the New York Post did a story on you,
0: they had uh, you in a hoodie which was splattered with paint. Now you sit before me. Your hoodie is unsplattered, but your pants and your shoes, <laughs> you know, you look like an artist's
1: easel. So, what is that, a new hoodie? What's uh, yeah, I got with this it? for Christmas, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's the, been out there it's since. literally like the only clean one I have. The rest of my clothes are. I have a nice suit, I have a one going out clothes, which are these, and the rest of my clothes are splattered with. Uh, 18 different colors of paint from covering graffiti and uh, painting fire alarm boxes and lampposts and hydrants and mailboxes.
0: So in my introduction, I talked about how Bloomberg wanted to eliminate them and they were a waste of money. But what do you think about that? Do you think it's important to have these call boxes out there?
1: Uh, originally, I thought I wrote somewhere in some place that they should get rid of them because of the false alarm rate. And it's, it's like 85%. Yeah, It's higher than that. It's like oh, right. 90%. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. The problem is after talking to some dispatchers and uh, members of the FDNY, they made me realize that that 10 percent represents hundreds of thousands of lives that were saved. And on top of that, it's a redundant system. It creates its own power source. The older ones have a wheel in it, like a clock. When you pull the handle, it spins around. It creates an electrical current so it doesn't need outside electricity. As a result of that, during the blackout and during September 11th, when there were no cell phones and no home phones, 90% of the fire calls came in through the fire alarm boxes. It's a cheap, redundant system. We need it. Unless they come up with something better, like smoke signals or something— We should just keep the system. Which I think for a
0: fire, speaking of redundant, I think a smoke signal might be pretty bad. Yeah. (laughs) That's called the fire itself. (laughs) This will be heard by people in New York, people outside New York who maybe have a similar call box situation. Give me three tips. If they want to go out and do this themselves, what should
1: people know? Get really good paint from a local paint store where they know what they're doing. Take your time and just go out and do it. And if it, uh, yeah, take your time. If it looks good... It will inspire others. Absolutely. You have to take your time, you know.
0: John Colgan repaints FDNY alarm boxes and is wearing a zip-up sweatshirt that will soon be splattered with paint. Thank you so much, John. You're very welcome. The Gist is brought to you by Acura, the presenting sponsor of the 2015 Sundance Film Festival. Acura understands the power of performance, how every moment should be infused with emotion, and every moment should evoke a thrill. A great performance is what Acura wants drivers to experience every time they get behind the wheel, which is why Acura is a proud official presenting sponsor of the Sundance Film Festival. Check out the all-new Acura TLX at Acura.com, or test drive one for yourself at your local Acura dealer. And now the spiel. It's an antan twig, our name for the three-week period in which I, correct, amplify, slouch towards plausible deniability, and it all ends in the awarding of a lop star. So first of all, I talked about how Chris Christie shut down lanes on the George Washington Bridge. No, actually, he never shut down lanes. He did shut down lanes in the toll plaza. So if you know about the flowing of anything, it has a very similar effect. But I wanted to get that right. Also, I made a reference to Andy Bowers saying, don't drive like my brother because there is no brother. Turns out there is a brother. I was just speaking out of my hat. So I asked for cliches a few weeks ago. I put the call out and you, the Gist listeners, you answered the bell. You earned your wings. You cut the mustard, but you also passed muster. Excuse me. Could you pass the muster? Cause I need to cut it. You were up to snuff. Okay. Digression. Up to snuff. This is the bar that we set up to the very high standard of snorting tobacco up your nose. Snortable tobacco, the use of which has all but disappeared because, because it's snortable tobacco. Because it's snortable tobacco. Now, I know that it was once very popular. I know that Pope Urban the VIII threatened to excommunicate snuff takers. Imagine that very uncomfortable conversation in hell. Hey, Jim, I didn't know you were here. Obviously, I'm the kitten drowner of Antwerp. What are you doing here? I snuff some tobacco. And we also know that King George III's wife, Queen Charlotte, loved her snuff. She was referred to as Snuffy Charlotte. Was she? Was that in the musical version of her life? Anyway... I just thought now that snuff was gone, that even hipsters, even the most handlebar mustachioed, a mustachioed handlebarrio who lives in a gentrified barrio, a hipster who pegged from the pegginess of his jeans, even that guy would not do snuff. But I was wrong. There are snuff users. There is a snuff community. Their message boards reject medical surveys that find, quote, snuff users, after long-term abuse, develop a form of chronic rhinitis as a consequence of which they develop blocked and stuffy noses. Gross mucosal edema of the septum and turbinates was the main finding of nasal examination. So the snuff message board, snuffhouse.org, claimed small sample size on that and indeed it was only 29 snuff users but 58 nostrils and then there are the snuff videos now there'd probably be more snuff videos but once you label something a snuff film youtube just takes it off but still a few sneak through like this one just so you got put it on your film. and then you take it up to your nostril like that and then breathe in and out But keep it keep it sealed So this guy, bearded, aren't... Ginger beard, no hair. Is actually... He has his thumb up his nose. And you can breathe in quite strong there. Just a few times. Yeah, you could breathe in strong. Maybe he had hair before he started the snuff habit. Most of it. And now he's removed the thumb from his nose and is holding his thumb up to the camera. There is a little residue. Give it a wipe. Do give it a wipe. And basically... That's all in there now, and and you haven't got to worry about any of it hitting
1: the back of your throat. So I'll demonstrate that one more time.
0: No! No! Do not demonstrate it one more time! For God's sake, is this video an inducement or a warning? If I wanted to see a Brit stuffing things up his nose, I'd have followed Mick Fleetwood around during the rumors tour. But still, I will say to you, the Gist listeners, you are up to snuff. You leapfrog snuff. You left snuff all a clump in the nasal passages of accomplishment as you came up with your cliches. Now remember what I was looking for. I was looking for a phrase that got at the very grating rhetorical gambit whereby a small, small example is used to counter-argue a much bigger, more prevalent thing. And what I was talking about is arguing the problem isn't Muslim extremists because all sorts of religions have extremists. I mean, there are Buddhist extremists. So I was just this Buddhist extremist thing stuck in my craw, but I wanted a good cliche, like don't make the perfect the enemy of the good. I wanted something to counter that. A.J. Wilkes suggested... Only seeing an outlier makes a liar out of you. I like that wordplay. And then he said, If you're holding the statistical tail, you haven't pinned it on the donkey. I'm not really sure what that means. It seems less like a cliche and more like something Christopher Hitchens would say. And you'd stroke your chin a little bit and go, "Mm mm-hmm. But still, donkey. David Hively said, How about the male seahorse carries the babies? That's true, right? If we talk about women and we talk about females of the species and this one counterexample, what does that prove? That's pretty good, but it's the sort of thing that if you say it, you need more explanation. Then Mark Auerbach made a series of suggestions. A small truth is not the whole truth and a truth so small it is a lie. These suggestions were good, but I think they sounded better in French. So here is French speaker Laura Anderson. I will say the cliche and give me the French version, Laura. A small truth is not the whole truth. Une petite vérité n'est pas toute la vérité. Ah, oh, it's true. So good. Or, you know, a truth so small, it is a lie. Or, as the French say, Une vérité si petite que c'est un mensonge. That is a lie based on small truths. Or, as they are wont to say in Paris, C'est un mensonge qui se base sur de petites vérités. Oh, yeah, that'll win the argument. Thank you, Laura Anderson. <laughs> no problem, Mike. The last one that Mark Auerbach suggested, the biggest lies are born of the smallest truths. I think that might sound better in Latin. Maxima est mendacium, something like that. But my favorite example was so good, it was Lopstar good. Lopstar is the award we give to the best listener or tweeter or reactor or interactor of the last three weeks. Now, it's not going to win the Lopstar You'll see who we award that to. And I think you'll agree. This guy deserves it. But Chris Collins suggested those arguments are you cutting down individual trees but failing to burn down the forest. So the next time I'm talking about, look, Islam... Of course, a religion of peace. Of course, this is a perversion of the religion. There seems to be some small sect within Islam that has this terrorism problem. And as soon as someone said, ah, but Buddhists are extremists too, what I'm going to say is, yeah, you know what? There might be a maple or two mixed in there, but it's still the Redwood Forest. I'm going to say that. Thank you, Chris. Another Lobstar finalist, Jason Tolufson, made a cavalcade of whimsy mock-up. It is what I said was the, uh, the original name for this show, and he put that on Facebook. Facebook.com slash SlateGist. I also want to honor Matthew Workman, who offered an explanation on my behalf for my poor showing on a Slate trivia quiz. He said that I must have been sandbagging. I covered most of those questions on the gist. No way I really scored that low. You're right, Matthew Workman. There is no way I scored that low. Actually, I blame thumbs and the fact that I had to take it on a mobile device. But the lopstar of the Antan Twig is Mr. Bobby Pape. Bobby Pape sent me through the mail, the physical mail, a deck of vintage playing cards based on flags. There was a vexillology game back in looks like the 1950s, and flags could be played against each other. I now own this set of cards. I've talked to our vexillology expert, the man who is firmly ensconced in vexillology corner, Ted Kay. He is familiar with these flags. He says that they were the real deal. Kids loved flags back in the day, and we here at The Gist, we love Bobby Pape. He is up to snuff. He's no Pope Urban VIII, but he is Pape Bobby, let's say, the first. The first lobstar. Of the Antan Twig. And that's it for today's show. Just producer Andrea Salenzi holds water, which she passes with flying colors as she saves the princess. Joel Meyer, managing producer of Slate Podcasts, bears scrutiny, by which I mean he marks his territory through urinating, defecating, and by scratching, rubbing, and biting trees. Andy Bowers, executive producer of Slate Podcasts, stands tall in the saddle, yet comes out smelling like roses. You can listen to us on iTunes and if you're there, give us a review. You can sign up for slate.com slash gist email to get our email. We're also available via Yo. Download that app. Sign up for podcast. We're on Facebook.com slash slate gist. Many of the Lopstars and Lop star finalists came through Facebook. And I want to ask you a small favor here at Slate. We're trying to learn more about our podcast listeners. So tell us which podcasts you enjoy, how often you listen to them, how you find out about new podcasts. We're asking you to fill out a survey. It would be a great help to us. It would be a great help if you say that it was the gist that directed you to the survey. To fill it out, go to Slate.com survey or you click on the link that we provide in the show notes for this episode. So if you're listening on an iPod or iPad or something, it's right there. It's two clicks away. Click, click, and you can keep listening as you fill out that survey. And we are having a storytelling, I guess, mentoring program. Last Friday, we talked to Matthew Dix, one of the best storytellers, one of the most interesting guys. We're going to have him on again soon. But I want to give out the number to call to pitch us a story, and Matt Dix will work with you, and we'll do a live storytelling. 304-607-GIST. 304-607-GIST. What we want there is a quick 40-second description of your story, who you are, your number, how to get in touch with you, and if you leave a message, we might use it on the air. Thank you for being part of this extravaganza, and to all participants in Super Bowl XLIX, thanks for coming up big in the clutch, for showing up when it counts, for putting on the war paint and wearing your game face, and for strapping on that chin strap one chin at a time. You know... You gave 110%, and Super Bowl Licks will be better off for it. I don't root for wins. I just root for a good, clean game. And I hope that, once again, our overextended military will not need the assistance of the Blue Angels for strafing missions. Thanks for listening.